Thank you, Choir, Moki, Patty. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we approach your scripture this morning, as we read your word, that your word will come alive for us, that it will make its way deep into our hearts, into our souls, and into our minds, and that uh, you will illuminate for us your truth, your vision, your path that you've laid ahead of us. Lord, we ask that you move us by the power and the presence of your Spirit, that the words that are spoken here today will be your words and no one else's own. Please bless this time that we have now in the presence of each other and in the presence of your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles and the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is our final week in the book of Romans, and uh, we've we've been on this for you know as as we've studied for ten weeks or twelve weeks or whatever it's been. We've we've seen that there are uh, lots of themes that have emerged that Paul has touched on that Paul has talked about, and some of them uh, were very fundamental, very basic, uh, sort of core concepts of our our faith and our Christianity, and some of them were a little bit more complex and a little bit deeper, such as sanctification, being grafted in, and the the church becoming a part of new Israel and things like that. But we're coming to an end here on our series of uh, Romans, and and at the end of this letter, Paul is, is sort of reminding the Romans of what his ministry is and what the purpose of this letter is. And he even says, I'm right, I wrote all this to boldly remind you. And so when we look at it in light of this, we look at Romans, we can look back at this whole series and we can say it's been a series of bold reminders. Uh, we've been sort of uh, given a, a refresher course on, on certain things like grace. And the fact that we're all sinners and that we can't earn our salvation. 
And, uh, and, and Paul used those uh, bold reminders to then build on and, and give us other bold reminders about how, what the Christian life should look like and what the church should look like and what ministry should look like. But we need those reminders, and Paul knew that, and that's why he says, I write all of this to boldly remind you of these things. Why is it that we need reminders? Why is it that we need to be refreshed on what we already know? If we know something, if we believe something, and that's sort of been the launching point into our spiritual life or into our relationship with God or into our uh, membership in the church, if, if we know what, what got us here, why do we have to go back and, and rehash that? Why do we have to refresh ourselves on that? Well, the reason why is because if those are the core principles, if those are the fundamentals, we have to remind ourselves why we are doing what we're doing, and we have to go back to square one to do that. There's no harm in being reminded. There's no harm in being refreshed. Only good can come of it to go back and consider what God has said, what God has done, how he has changed us, and and it becomes part of our story. The more we are mindful of where we came from, the more we are mindful of those, those fundamentals of our faith, the more we can make sense of who we are and our place in the world, our place in the church, and what our purpose is. Uh, I, I think I've told you all before, I had a pastor tell me, it was actually the pastor uh, at the church that I came out of, St. Paul in Columbus. Before I went into ministry, he told me, uh, don't ever be afraid to preach the same sermon twice. Because nobody's going to remember your sermons anyway. And then he said, in fact, I don't even remember what I preached on last week. And of course, I was naive enough at the time. I thought, well, gosh, man, you, you must not be a very good preacher if you don't remember what you preached on and, and your people don't remember what you preached on. But even though I haven't gotten to a point yet where I've preached the exact same sermon twice... I can say I know what he's talking about. There are certain things that you, you have to go back and you have to remind uh, people of. And you have to remind yourself. I have to remind myself of certain things. And so there are certain themes that you uh, come back to throughout your life as a Christian, throughout your, your journey of faith. And that's part of the sanctification process is going back and, and reviewing and refreshing and, and taking note of where you came from so that you can recall and remember it once again. Uh, some of you uh, take notes in your Bible uh, or, or on something. I see you writing in church. I hope you're taking notes. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll see you writing, and, and some people do that, and they'll have things in the margins. And that's a powerful thing, not just for now, but for years from now, when you go back and you read that. If, you, if you've ever journaled or taken notes or anything like that, and you go back and you read it later, you know what, what a neat experience that can be to read something that you wrote even just a year ago and you can see how how you have come back to that now with a fresh perspective and you're reminded of where you were and and sometimes you'll forget you'll think oh gosh I forgot about that I forgot that that happened to me I forgot that I, I thought about that and then you come back and you're reminded of that but you're also reminded of it through a, a new perspective, through a new lens. And that's why it's helpful to, to write things down, to journal or whatever, because you have that way of, of refreshing and bringing things back to mind that you had previously forgotten. And that's what we do when we read the Scriptures. We are refreshing ourselves all the time and, and, and 
we come back with a new perspective every time. We can read the same passage over and over again, and it can hit us in a whole new way. The same thing, the same truth, the things that we already know, but now we have this, this new experience, this new perspective, and we return to it. And those fundamentals take on a whole new meaning for us. And that's why some of these reminders here in Romans are uh, very simple. Very simple. And Paul says, all have sinned. That was one of his bold reminders. We're all sinners. None of us are perfect. We all start off on common ground. We all start off separated from God on the other side of the gulf. And then he also reminds us of grace. It's by grace that we are saved. It's not anything that we do to earn it. It's grace that brings us over there to where God is. That begins that journey. And so Paul goes back to these fundamentals and he reminds us of those things. And, and it's from there that we can build something much deeper. Uh, next week starts football season. So I guess it's time to break out the football analogies. But uh, a, a football team will work on the fundamentals throughout the spring, throughout the summer, long before they ever take the field for the first game. Even professional athletes, NFL players, get paid millions. They've been doing this their whole lives. But all summer long, they've been working on what? The fundamentals. Running, blocking, technique. How do you tackle? How do you catch? What's the proper way to throw? Get your throwing motion down. The fundamentals are what they come back to over and over again because they know that if those things are not in place, they can't build anything else. And then, once they've refreshed on the fundamentals, then they can move on to things more complex, like a playbook, where they know this is a plan. There's a grand scheme. There's a plan that we have to follow. But the fundamentals are first. And that's why Paul moves on from those fundamentals into deeper things. And he starts talking about the mission of the church. And he starts talking about sanctification and your personal place and purpose and your role in ministry and how we are grafted into this rich history of Israel and, and, and what our purpose in being there is. Now we have the playbook and the playbook is written by God himself and we, we can't get to that part. We can't carry out, we can't execute the playbook until we know the fundamentals. So Paul starts off with these, these basic reminders, these bold reminders that we are all sinners, that grace saves us. But then he gives us the bold reminder that salvation is not just simply an insurance policy. It's not just to improve your personal situation. In other words, salvation isn't just for you alone. When you come to salvation, it's not so you can say, all right, I'm good. I've got my salvation. I've been justified. I'm going to heaven when I die. There's much more to it than that. You move on to something greater. Your life becomes something greater. You change. That's what salvation is. And Paul gives us that bold reminder when he was talking about sanctification. If we tend to look at salvation as this one-time experience, and once we do it, once we're justified, we've got it made and we can coast through life, we're going to be just as spiritually unhealthy as we were before then. Uh, back in the, the 90s, uh, the early 90s, Mike Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world and I mean he was just an intimidating presence nobody could stand a chance with him in the ring and then he had this fight coming up against this guy James Buster Douglas who was nobody nobody had heard of him and uh, and he was 
not even expected to last more than a round or two. In fact, he was given so little of a chance that the odds makers in Vegas wouldn't even take bets. They were saying, this guy didn't even have a chance. We don't feel right taking your money. Now, that's, that's pretty bad when Vegas says that. But James Buster Douglas was given no chance, and he knocked out Mike Tyson. And, and he became a legend. From then on, he was, his name was in the history books, or, or at least in the boxing history books, as the man who beat Mike Tyson. And, and though he didn't get paid nearly what Mike Tyson got paid to, to fight in that fight, because he now had the title, Evander Holyfield wanted to fight him. And he got paid $24 million to fight Holyfield. Now, Holyfield beat him, and that was it. Buster Douglas was a a one-shot success story. He knocked out the champ. He got the title for a few months, and he got a huge payday to follow it. And so you would look at this, and you would think, okay, he's set. He's got it made. All he had to do was this one-time thing. And for the rest of his life, he set up $24 million. Everybody's going to know who he is. But unfortunately for James Buster Douglas, things deteriorated. They declined. He started binge drinking. He started eating. He ballooned up to 450 pounds, and he went into a diabetic coma where he almost died. You see, when we look at salvation as this one-time thing that we do, and then we've got it made... That's what can happen to us. We can just slip away into nothingness. We can rest on our laurels, and then what have we become? We've become a has-been, a spiritual has-been. Somebody who once had an encounter with Christ, and then just figured we've got it made from here on out. Fortunately for James Buster Douglas, he came out of his coma. He realized there was a lot more to life than just being rich and drunk and fat and happy because all that was just temporary. He realized that he had a legacy. He had a family. He had children. He had a son. And today he's lost his weight and he is training his son to be a boxer. He is passing that legacy on. And so Paul writes this book of Romans, this letter to the Romans, as a bold reminder that we have a legacy to pass on. That salvation is not just this one-time thing where we've got it made once we have it, and it's just for us, just for here, just for now. It's the beginning of a new life. A new life even while we're here on earth. And, and from there we become part of something much greater. And there's a legacy that we have to be a part of and to pass on. And we have to pass it on to the next generation. We can't become selfish. We can't become arrogant. We can't rest on our laurels. We have to realize that there is a purpose. And we have to align our vision with God's. This past week, I started school again for my final year at Emory. And it's always interesting when you go up there at the beginning of the semester to meet some of the first-year students, the new students. And so often I look at them and I think, oh, y'all just don't know what you've got coming. But every now and then I'll meet one who, intentionally or not, they will say or do something that just knocks me over. And I met a guy earlier this week, and, and we had a discussion, and, uh, and he was, he's a young guy, 23 years old, and, um, 
And he, he told me, as we were discussing, he told me that he was a universalist. And I was thinking, a, a, a universalist, someone who believes that all, all religions lead to God, all religions lead to salvation. I'm thinking, why are you here? Why are you in seminary if you're a universalist? And his answer was so honest, but it broke my heart. He said, I'm here because I grew up in the church, and the church failed me, and I'm here to find out why. You could have knocked me over with a feather. But that's the story of not just him. That's the story of so many young people in the world today. And not just young people, just just broken people. People who have come to church and said, the church has failed me. Now, fortunately for him, kudos to this guy. He's, he's decided to dedicate the next three or years of his life going to seminary and trying to figure out what went wrong. But most people don't do that. Most people just move on. That's on us. That is on the church. When people walk away from the church, when people turn away and say the church has failed us, the church has let us down. The church did not give us what we were looking for. The church did not uh, bring us into this, this presence, into this grace that they promise. That's on us. We can say, well, the world is changing and the culture is, is just going to hell in a handbasket and all that. It's not the world's problem that the church is in decline. It's our problem because it's our fault. We have a legacy to pass on, and we need to be doing whatever we can to make the gospel of Christ relevant and intriguing and life-changing for all those people out there who need it. That's what our duty is. That's what our purpose is. You see, we are all part of the church. We are all part of this here today because somebody passed it on to us. Because somehow or another, the Holy Spirit moved through other people and then it touched our lives. But what are we doing to usher the Holy Spirit into other people's lives? To advance that kingdom? There's an old story, you may have heard it, about Abraham Lincoln's axe. There was a man who chopped wood with his axe every single day. And he started telling his friends and his neighbors, this used to be Abraham Lincoln's axe. And it's been in my family for four generations. And the friends, neighbors at first, they didn't believe it. And then they were kind of like, well, if you've got Abraham Lincoln's axe and, and, and you've been using it and your family's been using it for, you know, 150 years or whatever, what are you doing chopping wood with it? That, that's not the best thing to do with this, this historical artifact. And he said, well, it still works. So he kept chopping wood. Well, eventually the Smithsonian found out about it and they said, if you've got Abraham Lincoln's axe, we need to know about it, and we'll pay you handsomely to take it off your hands and, and put it in our museum. He said, well, you, you can come out here and look at it. They came, and they looked, and within just a minute, they said, this is not Abraham Lincoln's axe. And he said, of course it is. It's been passed down in my family for generations. They said, no, we can, we can look at this and tell it's not his axe. It's too new. And he said, well, of course. I've had to replace the head three times, and I've had to replace the handle four times. <laughs> and they said, well, we don't want it. And he said, very well. It still chops wood just fine, and that's what I'll go use it for. But you see, the church is the same way. Nobody in the church is going to remain in the church forever. 
Different pastors will come and go. Different deacons, elders, ushers, children's church ministers. It all comes and goes. All of us are in in various stages of decay in these mortal bodies. We We can delay it. We can try to move on from it. We can do all these things to try to stay younger and healthier longer. But the truth is, none of us will be here forever. And so we have to pass it on because new people will come in. And like the Acts, are we, are we going to be able to say, yes, the parts have changed, but it's works, it still works the same? Will that be the legacy of the church that, yes, we've come, we've gone, but there's a new generation coming behind us that is, is going to take it over from here? And the church will still be just as effective? I don't know. What are we doing? What, do we have purpose? Do we have a sense of vision? And does that vision line up with what God's vision for us individually and for us as a church. And that brings us to the the final reminder that Paul gives here. He's he's talking about, I've been boldly reminding you of all of these things. And then he says, and I'm a preacher to the Gentiles. Paul had a sense of purpose and a sense of calling. And he said, there's this group of people, the Gentiles. I'm not even one of them. Paul is a Jew. I'm not even one of them. But there's this group of people that's been living outside the margins. Nobody wants to talk to them. Nobody wants to include them. Nobody wants to preach to them. And God has laid it on my heart to go speak to these people outside the margins. To go teach them. To go love them. To go serve them. And bring them the gospel. Paul had a sense of purpose and a sense of call. All of us, if we have been shaped by grace, if we have come into that relationship with Jesus Christ, we should, we should have purpose. We should have a sense of call. What is it? Who are the people on the outside that we need to reach? Who are the people outside the margins? Who are the people that are not being loved and nourished and fed? Who are the people who see the church as a place that has let them down? Now, some of us can say, well, I I don't write like Paul. I don't have the theological thinking of Paul. I can't speak or preach like Paul. That doesn't matter. God has given us all spiritual gifts. God has given us all ways in which we can serve and ways in which we can go out to minister to people, to minister to people on the outside. When you think of the church and you think of church growth, I know a lot of times we talk about church growth in numbers. Really, church growth has as much to do with vitality, spiritual health as anything. But either way, you have to have momentum. And we liken momentum a lot of times to a wave. But what causes a wave? A wave is caused by the tide going out, the wind coming in. Both things, movement in, movement out. Pulling, pushing, and it creates a wave, a force. And it gets higher, and it gets stronger, and it builds. And the church is like that. When we go out, and we... To to minister, to be the hands, the feet of Christ, to love, and then we come back in. To be nourished, to love on each other, to be healed, to pray. Then we go out and we share that love. And we come in. 
That's how a wave is created. That's how momentum is created. That's how a church grows. Whether you're talking about just spiritual vitality with the people that are here, or whether you're talking about growing in numbers, you have to have some kind of momentum. Because a wave grows high until it doesn't grow anymore. Once it reaches its peak, it starts to fall. There's no such thing as a wave that just stays the same height forever. It either goes up or it comes down. And it's the same way with the church. We either have momentum or we're in decline. Either we're growing or we're not. This week, uh, we're meeting for the, the committee, the nomination committees, to, to see who's um, going to be serving on what committee this year. And for the most part, for the last several years, I've just, um, you know, whoever's on coming off one end of the, the committee, I just roll them over and they start their tenure over. And that's been fine. That system has worked well. But I think we're at a point in the church now where we have to say, it's time for us to gain some momentum. It's time for us to gain some vitality. It's time for us to make a difference in the lives of each other. And it's time for us to make a difference in the lives of those outside these walls who are looking for some kind of meaning, who are looking for God's love. And so when it comes time to to do the nominations, I, I, I just may reshuffle the deck this week. I don't know. If, if you have a call, if you have a sense of purpose, if, if there is something that you feel you can contribute to, please let me know that so that I, I can make sure that we harness that and that we use it. Because all of this stuff, all that we do, coming in here and singing songs and praying and reading scriptures and, and uh, all of this stuff is really about finding our sense of call, our sense of purpose, and being the presence of Christ in the world around us. That's what it's all about. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to find our role? The way to defeat complacency and ineffect, uh, ineffectiveness and, and decline in the church is by gaining a sense of urgency, but also by gaining a sense of purpose. When we read through Romans, we, we should sense the urgency. We should, sit, we should get a sense of purpose. And like I said, we, we condensed this whole book in about 10 to 12 weeks. If you were to go in and read in the gaps of what we didn't cover, you, you could probably yourself come up with another 50 sermons out of Romans. It's a life-changing book. But when we read it, when we study it, when we consider Paul's message and his bold reminders, we should be filled with that urgency and with that purpose. When we do that, we come back to square one, we reassess who we are, where we've come from, and we can align our vision with God. The vision for ourselves individually, but also the vision for the church, His church. The torch has been passed on to us by the saints who have come and gone long before we have. And if we're going to pass it on, then we must make sure our vision matches God's vision. Let us pray. Lord, we humbly ask for forgiveness for our complacency, for our tendency to just sort of tread water and stay where we are sometimes. We ask that you fill us with urgency that you fill us with a sense of purpose and that you give us a sense of purpose. If, if we don't know what our role is, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, that you will guide us, 
and show us what it is that you would have us do so that we can reach the lost, the last, and the least for Christ Jesus. Help us to catch your vision and to carry it out into the world around us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 344. If you've made a decision of any type today, as always, I encourage you and invite you to come forward. The altar is always open for you to come pray at if, if, if you so desire. Please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 344. Of course, we're going to sing the English verse, verses.